everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Marketing Week's This Much I Learned podcast. I'm Charlotte Rogers, Insight Editor at Marketing Week, and today I'm joined by Cheryl Calvary, CEO of eSleep. Cheryl joined the Sleep Wellness brand in 2018 as CMO, before taking on the role of CEO in May 2020. In the past 12 months, Eve has entered the sleep gifts market through a partnership with Boots, seen brand awareness grow 17%, and launched a new campaign in November asking the UK to activate sleep mode. A year on from taking on the CEO role, Cheryl has completed Eve's rebuild strategy six months ahead of schedule, with a view to accelerating the business by leveraging the company's strong brand, marketing muscle and product portfolio. The watchword, however, is balance and focusing on customer experience and business resilience, avoiding a growth at all costs mentality. Cheryl is also clear about how the skills she developed as a marketing leader over the past two decades have prepared her to become a CEO. Welcome, Cheryl. To kick off, you took on the CEO role at EVE at the height of the first wave of COVID-19. Honestly, what was that experience like and what challenges were you faced with back in May 2020? It's surreal, but I think everything was surreal at that moment. So it was no more surreal to suddenly be a CEO than to suddenly be locked in our bedrooms or suddenly told you couldn't see your, your family, friends or go to pubs. So it was just one more bit of madness to add to the madness at the time, I think. The challenges were, and I think everyone was faced with, we just didn't know what was coming. So we were on one hand planning for a business that, you know, might halve in size, you know, and what would that mean? How long could we go without selling any product before, before we'd run out of cash? We had a whole set of scenarios that literally said, how do we put the business on life support if we need to? Because we just didn't know whether consumers would just immediately stop spending any money and the whole country was going to go into free. And then we had a flip side scenario, which is, you know, can we handle an unexpected swing to e-commerce as all the shops are closed? There was an awful lot of just sort of scrabbling around and, and then just not knowing what would happen, you know, all the way down our supply chain. So would we be able to continue to, to make and deliver mattresses to people's doors? There was a point when uh, we weren't even sure whether delivery guys would be able to go and go to people's houses with mattresses because they're obviously very big products. It's not something you can just put through a letterbox or ask someone to pick up from the post office. It was a very sort of seat of your pants time. This business is a, an incredible business and it's full of incredible kind of creative and passionate and committed and hardworking people. And it does really well, actually, in a crisis and in a seat of your pants. It's, I think a lot of young businesses are the very nature of the businesses. They thrive in uncertainty because they're young businesses. So actually, as a business, I was incredibly proud. The team just kind of knew how to handle a whole load of unexpected scenarios and, and situations. And, and it was mental, but it was in retrospect quite good fun, actually, weirdly, uh, handling it and, and seeing the team come together and seeing us get our ship in order for, for sailing the new seas we were sailing. That must have been really satisfying, actually actually, to kind of see everyone come together and be at their best in a crisis. And I think it's one of the things that you've talked about, kind of the, the key CEO skill being this ability to make decisions that prioritise customers, the people in your business and the wider business strategy when there is no clear right answer. So how did you kind of tap into your marketing background to prepare you for those kinds of decisions as CEO? I think those decisions you probably make more as marketers than you do as CEOs. I mean, as a CEO, you've got more concrete stuff to look at than you do as a marketing. Is You're always guessing on the future. You're, you're literally guessing, will this thing I'm about to do work in the future? And inherently good marketing is stuff that hasn't been done before. It's inherently good marketing is differentiating and creative. So therefore it has to be different to what's gone before. You're literally constantly crystal balling. I think as a CEO, you've got a lot more physical, real, retrospective, actual data uh, to go alongside the crystal ball data. So you're in a better position. Difference with what you have as a CEO though, is you have a lot more conflicting uh, priorities. So as a marketeer, fundamentally 99% of marketers are trying to grow the business, grow the business, 
win more customers, sell more stuff. That's, that's kind of what marketing's about. Whereas when you're a CEO looking across the business, you've got parts of the business that are trying to grow the business, win more customers, sell more stuff. You've got parts of the business that are trying to protect their existing customers and make sure they get a great service and make sure that everything turns up right. You've got part of the business that are trying to looking to invest and going, well, how do you make better stuff future? But that might mean actually not going mental today. And you've got parts of the business that are going, well, how do you make sure that the business itself is resilient and can operate in a future growth scale? So actually, we don't want more customers today because we, we're not able to handle those customers. So so you have much more sort of, it's not by any means conflicting pressures, but everyone's got slightly different angles on their decision making. And then the job as a CEO is to try and sort of sit in the middle and we're constantly balancing the times when we're going to grow a bit more. And I know that's going to make it difficult to deliver customer experience. We're going to put more pressure on this team. The times when we're going to slow down because actually what we really need to do is get our house in order in a piece of back end or a piece of tech or, you know, a piece of team building or capability or leadership. And I think it's almost a bit like flying a plane. I mean, I really do. I think there's, you kind of go, look, speed up, slow down. How's the fuel doing? What's the crosswinds? And how do we navigate the sort of various pressures on the business to try and keep us going in a trajectory which is sustainable and we'll get us where we want to go? I mean, that's so interesting when you talk about that because, you know, all those different conflicting, not even conflicting, all these different priorities within the business that you have to sort of be across and manage. And I know that you talk about you've got that hard data at your fingertips, but I know you've also kind of spoken about the importance of gut instinct as a CEO and being able to sense kind of problems and opportunities. How have you honed that gut instinct over the past year of being a CEO? One of the greatest things about being a marketeer, which I don't think enough marketeers recognize in themselves, and I also don't think we put enough emphasis on, on building and respecting over a career, is you develop a gut instinct because you spend all your time with consumers, with the market, with data, with your product, with advertising, with creativity, with it. You're sort of consuming quite a variety of, of input and you develop this gut instinct that means you're able to just go, kind of that feels right, that feels wrong. And that's what, you know, a long marketing career gives most marketeers is just the ability to go, that feels right and that feels wrong. And, you know, on a balance of stuff. That I think that's where you hone that instinct. And then I think there are businesses which are more instinctive and inherently younger businesses kind of have to be more instinctive. They have to move quicker. They haven't got the depth of data and tools and technology. There's questions I'd love to answer that I can't answer because we've just not built the right data and tech yet. We will do one day. So a young business tends to be more instinctive, which means it's a bit more fleet of foot, which means it will do more daring things. It also means it can make much bigger mistakes because it doesn't have the robustness of data. That's the kind of conflict between old businesses and people talk about, you know, being oil tankers and then a young business, which is more nimble. It's actually being having the compass to go on instinct. I think the only thing that drives instinct is listening. And I wouldn't call myself a particularly good listener, but I do try and work hard to listen. I think listening is just about the most important tool in your bot. But in order to listen, people have to speak. So creating a culture where people speak, uh, where people tell you what they're thinking, where people are happy to, to say the silly thing or to ask the stupid question or to point to the difficult bit of data. That's where culture is vital. If you've got an instinctive business, which is young, the thing that has to go with that is a culture of openness and people speaking up. So I think my first year of being a CEO, and you know, bear in mind, I've, I was people's peers. So there was an element of, you know, I was battling with everyone else and suddenly I'm now at CEO that my first year has been really spent and is still being spent trying to make sure people have culture and confidence to just talk and share stuff and make decisions and that I can then, I and my exec team, and this is not about me, I mean, business is run by the business. I could walk out tomorrow and business would be hugely successful, but I and my exec team can hear as much as possible of what's going on, what's in people's minds. And only when you hear kind of everything, can you make those instinctive calls because you don't know what bit of thing you hear is the thing that you've got to need to help you make that 
call. I think that's so interesting and kind of one of maybe one of the most underrated skills of a CEO is notion of needing to listen and creating a culture that is free of blame, like you're saying, where people can come to you and say, I've got this information, or I've got this kind of idea and you're willing to listen rather than people feeling like, oh, I can't mention that in case, you know, I'm going to get blamed for it if it doesn't work. The biggest sort of thing is a blame-free culture, is a culture of forgiveness. And it's a really, really hard thing to do, by the way. And it's an even harder thing to do on Zoom because admitting you have made a mistake, which is how people will see it, on Zoom is much, much harder than saying it in a room when someone can put their arm around your guard up you close the Zoom call and you're left on your own in the corner of the bedroom going, fuck, is everyone now judging me as being shit at my job? That is the hardest thing to do. And we are only a part way down the journey. But getting to a transparent, open, blame-free culture where we can talk gives you as a leadership team the best chance in a young business, in an instinctive business, rather than a sort of deep data process business, the best chance of making the best decisions for business. There is no right decision. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. I think another one of the things that you've talked about is how actually there is so much reflection needed in the CEO's role. And because a lot of the personal purpose of the CEO drives the business culture, it drives the business forward. And actually a lot does emanate from the CEO's mentality. How have you sort of built in that time to reflect? Because as you say, you know, it has been a crazy year. How have you sort of taken that time and thought, this is, I need to prioritize this because it's really important that I understand my purpose, what I'm doing and and how that fits with the the wider culture of the business? I didn't appreciate when I came into the seat, how much it is your own purpose does shape the business. It's slightly terrifying moments when you realize the business will react to what you want to do, even if you don't mean to tell the business that. And that's quite scary. Um, but but kind of all right once you get over it. But, it, you know, it's a bit like suddenly realizing you're a parent and you're responsible for a child. It's like, oh my God, that's quite intimidating. In a smaller business where there's, and I say hi, it's not me, but it's, the, you know, it's a fairly small business. So the shadow each of us casts as leaders is quite big across the business. I am a relatively navel-gazing kind of person. Uh, and I've spent a lot of time in the past three, four, five years working out kind of meaning of life and why I'm here and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I think if I was a man, I might have just bought a sports car and had a midlife crisis, but that's not, not my style. So I've spent a lot of time just staring down my own navel. I kind of know what I enjoy in life. I know what makes me feel good. And so I didn't really kind of have to reflect much. The scary thing, though, is is knowing what sort of CEO you'd be, and you are, but not knowing if that's what your board want. And I definitely had a moment where I had to go to my, say to myself, well, this is who I am. This is the CEO I am. They have chosen to appoint me. So they bought this, if you like. This is what they bought. And if they decide this isn't the sort of CEO they want and doesn't have this the purpose that I have, which is about building a great place for people to grow and develop and a business for the future, um, then they'll they'll just go and choose a different CEO. And, and I'm cool with that because actually this is who I am. Um, and that's really important to know. Without doubt. And I think that's so interesting to say about how you kind of need to, to sort of, yeah, stand by your purpose, what you're about, what you want to do with the business and wear it as a badge of honour and be proud of it. Obviously, we are seeing more marketers become CEOs, but I wondered, and obviously it's not for everybody, but do you think more marketers should be thinking about, you know, making that step up to CEO level? And, and do you think there are things that they could do to make this a reality? I think you need to be careful what you wish for a little bit. I'm very lucky that I have stepped up into the CEO role, but I have continued to act as CMO in this business. And so I've continued to be deeply involved in marketing and, you know, my my marketing leadership team still report into me. I don't know how ready I would be to be a CEO in a business and have someone else be the CMO. It's very difficult to leave a lifetime's passion in in consumers and products and advertising behind. And so I think marketers make absolutely brilliant CEOs. You need to do that in a business which will embrace a marketer as a CEO, a product-centric, consumer-centric, brand-centric business. Then you'll be successful. But I think marketers stepping up to become CEOs in business where marketing, brand, consumers, products, you know, all the wonderful bits of marketing are not right at the heart of the business is probably folly. So it's kind of a yes and no answer, I think. 
I think that's really interesting because I think you're right. You know, when you when you love something as much as you know, when, you know, when you've been doing marketing for 20, 30 years and you love it, it must be so hard to kind of step away if, if it isn't a business that that loves it too. And I wondered whether there were other things that you know, if someone's listening to this thinking, eventually I want to be a CEO. Was there anything that you did, any sideways moves that you made, or any decisions you made that you think made your ascension to CEO more of a reality that that helped you on that way that maybe they could follow, or is it just you know everyone's personal journey? I think if you are looking to be a CEO as a marketer, what's absolutely vital is everyone says you need P&L ownership at some point. You need end-to-end commercial ownership and you ideally need broad full mix knowledge across the five P's as well. And those two things may be different. So you need to be responsible for the whole P&L and understand how all the maths work top to bottom. You also need to understand horizontally how pricing, product, promotion, advertising, positioning, how the horizontals of the marketing mix work. There is a lot of businesses where all that stuff has been fragmented and your ability to understand how the customer experience connects with the product proposition, which connects with your brand proposition, which connects with where you're taking your pricing, which is core to the skill a marketer brings as a CEO. If you can't connect those dots, then you aren't going to be a powerful marketing background CEO. And some industries lend themselves well to both to PL ownership. Some industries lend themselves well to full mix understanding. And I would say if in your career you cannot see a way to get to either or both of those things, you probably need to look at an industry where you can do that. And then I think the other thing is just going, look, CEO. Is a, is a massive title. I mean, I doubt I'll ever be CEO of a FTSE listed company. I'm not that sort of person. So, you know, when you say CEO, is it that you want to lead a smaller growing business? Is it that you want to lead an innovative business? Is it actually that you want to lead a big and bureaucratic and structured organization and you're very good at thinking through those challenges? CEO is an incredible, I mean, I'm, I'm a, basically an MD of a PL here, but um, we are free to grow and get where we want to go. It's a, it's a very different kettle of fish to going and taking something, you know, in a big old organization with, with different sort of transformational challenges. I think that's a really important point, actually, that there is no one size fits all CEO role. Um, and sometimes it's too simplistic to think that that CEO is X. It's just this one experience because it's obviously different depending on the organization. My history as a marketeer is, is largely in brand transformation, brand turnaround. And that's what I'm quite good at. And I spent a lot of time with very big old brands of rejuvenating them and stuff. I wouldn't CEO, wouldn't be the right person to CEO a business transformation, business turnaround. Because the skills I have are about innovation and creativity and differentiation. And actually business turnaround is much more about structural, you know, restructuring of an organization, technical transformation of, of platforms. That's not my skill set. So it's really understanding. And it's not my skill set because I don't enjoy it, <laughs> you know. So it's understanding what it is you enjoy and what because if you go to work every day and do stuff you enjoy you'll be brilliant so it's finding a CEO that has that as bias you know um I mean kind of reflecting on that and sort of lastly you know as we look into 2021 obviously the rebuild of Eve is firmly underway um everything is kind of going in the right direction for the brand what is your vision for the business going forward and the role you're going to play in that as CEO you know, this is just the most massive question. I have no idea how to answer it. I realize it's the sort of question I probably should have the answer to. Fun, so there's a, there's a few things. Fundamentally, so sleep wellness is where we are, where we're going to be. So to move long term from being a mattress company to a sleep wellness business, that's the journey we're on. So we started out five years ago as, as one mattress and we're well on our way. That will mean getting beyond product into content and, and probably experience and services in the very long term. God knows what that looks like. Not even, we're just starting to play in that area. I think, you know, revolutionizing e-commerce is interesting. E-commerce businesses historically have been the digital version of retail businesses and that's how they're all grown so if you look at most e-commerce websites and businesses they're just very very good at selling things very very hard they're almost like the as i said the website that goes with the retail experience eve is born in an e-commerce area it's an e-commerce first business so we have the opportunity to create the new version of e-commerce what does a brand look like that's born in an e-commerce time what does that look like in terms of experience and can we do the thing that we could never do in a shop which we always talked about as marketeers which is create needs-based sales so we always said to marketeers we'd love to you know to change all the retail categories so actually you go look i need to 
service tea and I'll put all tea time foods together or I need to service male health or put all male health together. And we never could. We always got stuck by, no, no, because you have to have the fish fingers in the fish fingers aisle and you have to, you know, and the question we've got as an e-commerce business is we have the ability to create a needs-led business. We can create a sleep wellness business and say, look, I can give you somewhere to go to solve your sleep needs and it combines products and contents and services and support and recommendations all as one experience in a way that you just can't do in physical retail and we've never been able to really. That's what I would love us to do and it's an interesting question my chairman sort of said to me, well, you know, give me an example of who's doing that and the answer is, well, I don't know anyone which always makes me interested because it makes me, my ears pick up. There are people playing a little bit in this area. Some of the sports guys obviously are trying to create much more needs-led uh, solutions. Some of the travel guys, much more needs-led solutions. And no one's kind of stepped forward and said, what is the future of commerce that's based around a customer need as opposed to commerce that's based around a product category? And how, how can we create that? And that's kind of what we'd like to do. But what we really most importantly need to do is just create fantastic products and make sure we give customers brilliant experiences of their products. And that's that's what the next two, three, four years look like. That is really exciting. I think um, you've obviously got loads on the to-do list. And I think this sort of notion of, of needs-based commerce is, is really, really interesting. So um, I look out to kind of see what's going on with Eve over the months and years ahead. Thanks so much, Cheryl. It was lovely speaking to you. We hope you enjoyed this latest edition of Marketing Week's This Much I Learned podcast. And check out the next episode coming soon on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. That just leaves me to thank Cheryl and you for listening. Thanks. Thanks.